Today, I want to share with you a message entitled, The Debt of Love. The Debt of Love. Reading from verse number seven in Romans chapter number 13, it reads, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Now, this is not a message from the IRS. I don't know if you paid your taxes or not, but I'm just reading from the word of God exactly what it says. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse number 10, pay attention to this verse. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather. And Lord, even uh, in this location here at Wheelock, we thank you for the opportunity where we can worship you, Lord, unashamed, where we can realize, oh God, Lord, that nothing else will satisfy us, oh God, that you are the cup that will never run dry. Father, as we gather together here today and as we share in the word of God, uh, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you desire to say uh, uh, in and through us this morning, in and through uh, me this morning, Lord, that even as the word of God goes forth, oh God, Lord, that you would be exalted, your name would be lifted up, oh God, Lord, and that we would realize what it is that we love because you first loved us. Lord, help us not to default on the debt of love that we have towards one another, but help us to love as you have called us to love in Christ Jesus' name. Uh, anytime we talk about the word debt, and especially in church, uh, many people begin to tighten up and get a little worried. Uh, debt is not a word that we typically enjoy talking about. And uh, for those of us who may owe someone else something, uh, we think about how are we going to pay off those debts. But for those of us who have some money that we've lent to someone or someone owes us something, uh, we are excited about talking about debt because we're thinking about the fact that I want to collect on that debt. Um, and, 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 you know, it's an interesting because for me, I've had a very interesting relationship with debt. Um, uh, um, you know, I, I, I I can say that I, I didn't always know how to properly manage all the resources that I had. And so there were seasons of my life where debt mastered me. And, you know, I think back and, and uh, when I was in college, uh, part of our fundraiser for the gospel choir and uh, I'm ashamed to even say it now, I was the president of the gospel choir, and part of our fundraiser was that we were sitting on campus trying to get people to sign up for credit cards, and for every credit card sign up that we would get, the gospel choir would get money. Now, at the time, it sounded great. I mean, hey, we're raising money for the gospel choir. Another credit card? What will that hurt anybody? 
But now I look back at it and realize, uh, well, that might not have been the most wisest uh, fundraiser that we could have had. I mean, uh, let me just make this side note for those of you, uh, 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 those of you, whatever stage of life that you're in. L- let me tell you something. When credit cards give you an offer and say, we want to give you something free, give you a free trip, a free T-shirt, a free whatever, uh, it's not free. <laughs> And they're not doing it out of the kindness and generosity of their heart. I mean, they're not just sitting around and saying, you know what? I really just want to bless somebody today. Dio, let me give you a free trip to Hawaii. They know that if they can get you in, they might spend $1,000 on that free trip, but they've calculated the billions of dollars that they will get in interest payments from all the people who said, I surely will pay it by the end of the month. And the end of the month came and went. Probably the end of a couple months came and went and you're still paying it down. And so this notion of debt is something that a lot of times I realize that even in the body of Christ, we don't understand how to manage debt. And and, and that's not the topic of what we're going to talk about today in terms of managing debt. But in this aspect of this interesting relationship with debt, I I realized that, you know, I got to the point where I I didn't really like debtors and I feel I felt like they kind of tricked me into taking on the debt. And so um, I kind of adopted a philosophy that, you know, since you tricked me, it's optional whether or not I want to pay you. Um, And so I kind of had an optional timeline of repayment. If I felt like paying you this month, and all right, I'll pay you. If I didn't, then hey, you know, you'll get it when you get it. Well, I, 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 I soon found out that optional, you can opt to not pay it, but they will come find you. <laughs> and for seven years on your credit report, it will affect all the things that are going on. And so I learned, uh, realizing that debt is not something that we play with and realizing that there is an obligation that we assume when we take on debt. And when we take on this debt, we realize that there's something that there's an expectation that someone is giving us a benefit with the expectation that we're going to take on the obligation that comes along with that benefit. And in this, in this text, we're reading this story of this aspect of giving everyone what you owe them. Uh, and it's interesting because if we look in uh, other passages of Scripture, there's a parable about what was known as the unmerciful servant. Now, uh, this unmerciful servant, there, what there was was there was a master who had a lot of people who owed him a lot of money and resources. And so, you know, uh, uh, Matt, can you come up here? I'm going to borrow you today. And um, you got any money in your wallet? All right, I, I, I'll, give you, I, I'll give you some money. <laughs> and so I'm, 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 the, I'm, the, I'm the masterful uh, manager, and I say, you know, you owe me. $5,000. And it's time to pay up. And Matt is thinking, he's counting his money. What, what do you got in your hand? $15. That's a long way from $5,000. And so he's thinking, man, I could never be able to pay this debt back. $5,000. And he's saying it's due now. And so uh, he, he begs and pleads and says, Pastor Joe, please, please have mercy on me. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> you got to say it with them. Come on, y'all need some words. Say, Pastor Joseph. <laughs> Pastor Joseph. <laughs> Please, Please, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. <laughs> and so the master thinks about it and he says, wow, he owes me this $5,000. 
I have a lot of resources. I, 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 I understand that he took on the obligation. But you know what? I'm going to forgive him of his debts. Go and be merciful to those who owe you money. Go be merciful to those who may have debts to you. As much as I've forgiven you, forgive others. So Matt says, thank you. Thank you, you, Pastor Joseph, for forgiving that $5,000 debt. Now, he encounters another gentleman that owes him money. Mark, come on up. (laughs) Now, Mark had only borrowed $5 to get some groceries down the store. And so Matt goes to Mark and he says, where's my $5? <laughs> no, 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 don't give it to him. <laughs> and, uh, oh. <laughs> now, since they want to do the adapted version of the Bible, he says <laughs> after that, <laughs> well, not only do you owe me $5, but you owe interest on that payment. And Mark is like, I don't have that. And Matthew says, you wicked person. Go away, put, it, put you in jail until you're able to pay it back. Now, the parable goes on to say that the master who had forgiven Matthew of all of those debts, he finds out that here someone owed him much less than had been forgiven of him. And he says to him, why, after I've forgiven you all of this, you go when someone owes you something and now you turn them into jail and show no mercy upon them. And he says, because of that, you are now going to suffer. Although I forgave you, you didn't forgive others as I had forgiven you. Now, thank you, gentlemen my money. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I share that story and that parable because when we think about the aspect of debt and when we think about how uh, uh, the Lord expects in terms of debt and obligations, we realize that God shows mercy towards us. But some of us, we do not want to fulfill the obligation that God has given to us and how God has blessed us. We instead just kind of try and operate on our own ledger and do the things that we want to do. We're looking at our responsibility as believers to love one another. Now, this is a command and an instruction that is not qualified that we are called to love one another as long as fill in something that feels good. We are called to love one another as long as they're the same skin color as us. We are called to love one another as long as they don't push those buttons that you always hate that they push. We are called to love one another as long as they're a good boss and promotes you on the timeline that you think you should be promoted. We are called to love one another as long as they do the things that I expect them to do. You see, there was no qualification, but he says that we are to continue in this responsibility of loving one another. And what does it mean to love one another? Because if we're going to understand how God has called us to operate as the church and as the body of Christ, we're going to have to understand that the primary foundation of operating and living in this earth is that we have to learn how to love one another. Now, what does that mean? 
one of the hardest tasks in applying and understanding what the Bible means in our modern day context is that we're biased by our cultural and societal expectations that are poured into a word. And if we do not understand the context in which the text was given, what will end up happening is we'll end up pouring our meaning of what we think and what we understand rather than getting from the Bible what was the Lord trying to say as he gives that instruction. And so when we say, what does love mean? Love is more than a feeling. Love is more than just making me feel good. When we're called to love one another, uh, we, we go beyond just feeling good. Love is more than me giving you everything that you want. Love is more than this aspect that I just have to succumb to whatever your needs are. But love understands that love is actually God is love. And those who try to walk in love without a relationship with God will always be walking in a counterfeit type of love. Some of you, you've experienced what walking in a counterfeit type of love is because you've been the recipient of it. What do I mean by counterfeit? It's a counterfeit love because they call it love, but really it's only a selfish love or a manipulation. You ever experienced someone who tried to manipulate you by their love? Their intentions were not to serve you. Their intentions were to get something of benefit for themselves. And they figured that as long as they did the things that you wanted, that they thought you wanted to see, that they'd be able to get what they wanted. You see, the outward acts of loving someone may look the same. But when we look at the heart, when there is selfish love, you'll realize that the motivation behind it is not truly genuine. In relationships, we can often love in a selfish way. In church, we can love in a selfish way. In our families, we can love in a selfish way. And the reason that we feel that selfish love is acceptable is because many of us, when we think about love, we think about the fact that we are doing someone a favor by loving them. We think we're doing someone a favor by loving them. Uh, you know, when we love our neighbor, we think, and sometimes we might say, you better be glad that I love you. Otherwise, I would have let you have a piece of my mind. Now, uh, let me take an aside here. Some of you don't have any pieces of your mind that you have to give away, so you might want to keep those pieces and, and not give anybody a piece of your mind. But aside from that, we think that, uh, oh, you better be glad that I love you, or else. Or else what? <laughs> what I mean, what, what, truly. What, I mean, we, we, we kind of look at ourselves and think, they are give, I'm giving away my love, and you better be glad that you've experienced my love. <laughs> but Romans 13 challenges us in this area of love. The Apostle Paul says that you have a responsibility to give what you owe to others. Now, I told you about selfish love. You know what the problem with selfish love is? When you have a selfish mindset, you tell yourself you don't owe anybody anything. Everybody owes you something. There are people that you've experienced where they walk around and it's the spirit of what we call entitlement. And when you have selfish love, you look around and say, someone ought to be glad that they have the opportunity to love me. Someone ought to be glad that they have the opportunity that I said hi to them. And the reality is that Romans 13 challenges us that we have to see that we have obligations. Now, he starts in the practical. He says, listen, if you owe taxes, 
Don't say God paid it all. God did pay it all, but you better pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, pay your revenue. If you owe respect, pay the respect. If you owe honor, pay the honor. But our obligations are not simply what others have given directly to us. Our obligations can come because of what someone else has done for us. Debt is an obligation incurred as a result of some benefit that has been transferred. Debt is an obligation, an obligation that is incurred because a result of some benefit that has been transferred. Pastor uh, Michael, come on up, please. And while he's coming up, I want you to turn to 1 John 4 and chapter, chapter number 4 and verse number 7. Debt is an obligation incurred as a result of some benefit that is transferred. So what often can happen is that we know when someone borrows money. And so I say, Pastor Mike, can I borrow ten dollars? And he lets me borrow the ten dollars. Now, I know to myself, I say, I owe Pastor Michael ten dollars. So I'm going to avoid him for the next two weeks until I get paid again and I can be able to pay him back. No, no. The, the right way is that I know that I'm going to have to pay him back for what he has lent me. But see, what we also don't understand is that sometimes when we are lent something. And so, for example, Pastor Michael lends me ten dollars. What he says is that instead of paying me back. When you get those $10, I want you to go and find 10 people and pay them each instead of paying me. Now, past, I still owe an obligation to who? Pastor Michael. But he has given me the terms of repayment. And what are the terms? Pay 10 people. Now, if I shortchange those 10 people, guess who I'm shortchanging? Pastor Mike. He was the one that I incurred the debt to. But he says that I want you not to. He says, you know, $10, that's fine. I want you to bless others with what I've given you. But when I take it away from the others, I've really taken it away from him. Now, what happens here in the text? Look in there in 1 John 4 and 7. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and know God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4 and verse, eight, uh, verse 9. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then verse 11 says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know what he's saying to you? The same way that I borrowed the money from Pastor Michael, he's saying that God gave us his only begotten son. And there is a debt that we occur because what was the benefit? Do you understand the benefit that as God gives us the his only begotten son, it says that we have an atoning sacrifice for us. That means that through the son that was given for us that died on the cross, the reason why we take communion, that we that we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. We celebrate it because through that one act. We have eternal life. 
Through that one act, we've been shown mercy. Through that one act, we received a benefit. But God doesn't say, because you've received that benefit, go out and you make your own cross and die. He says that because you've experienced my love, here are the terms of repayment. Go out and love your neighbors. Because you've been shown mercy, go out and show the same mercy and forgiveness to others. Because you've been shown what it means that someone loved you even when you were unlovable. I know some of you think that you were never in those stages, but God says, listen, even while you were yet a sinner, you were in a state of rebellion. He says he loved you enough to send your own son, his own son. And now he's challenging you to pay the debt back. Thank you, Pastor Michael. So what happens? God gives us his son. That becomes the debt. The benefit transferred is eternal life. The obligation is what we saw there in verse number 11. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, when we go back to Romans chapter number 13, we realize that our obligation to love is because of the benefit that God has given us. And it is not something that we fulfill by doing one good time deed or by doing something out of the ordinary. It is a verse that says there in uh, Romans chapter number 13, it says in verse number eight, it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, that's interesting that the writer chose to use this analogy and he's talking about debt. He's talking about giving unto others what you owe them. Don't be someone who makes a commitment and an obligation to say, I'll take the benefit, but I won't pay the price. And then he says, all right, we'll start in the natural. But I want you to understand that you've received some great and precious promise that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. But make sure you pay the obligation. And that obligation goes out to your fellow man on your left and your right, behind you and in front of you. These are those who God has said is your neighbor. The challenge is, is that many of us, we do not realize that we have a large debt. We don't realize that this is a large and it even says that it is a continuing debt. It is a debt that we have. And until we leave this earth, it will never be satisfied. It's a debt that we owe unto God that we cannot pay on our own. And he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So guess what? Every time that you take a breath, <laughs> you're incurring more on that debt load. Every time that you breathe in and breathe out, you're alive because someone gave their life for you and you're incurring the debt that was the price that was paid. And so realize that you have a continuing debt and it doesn't stop just because someone is nasty. It doesn't stop just because someone is unfair. It doesn't stop just because someone doesn't walk in integrity. But that continuing debt to love one another is to show the love of Christ no matter what circumstances may come before you. It's a continuing debt. And this debt is that we are to love each other. We're not doing a favor. We are fulfilling the debt that we have to God. Now, I realize that when we have a debt, we will read all of the details of how that debt is to be fulfilled. 
I, I don't know anyone who just says, you know what, Sally Mae, uh, you know, I know I owe you $150, but I just felt like being generous today, and <laughs> here's $300. No one says after they had a six-year term of repayment, you know what, Sally Mae, I just enjoyed paying you every month. Let me just pay you an extra month. Those of you who don't know what Sally Mae is, that's a, a, a loan purchaser for college and education. If you haven't met with her yet <laughs> and are still in school, you will become very well acquainted with her. So what is this aspect? That if we're going to understand that we have a debt to love, we need to read the terms of how the repayment schedule of this debt and how we are to exercise repayment of love. What are the terms of the obligation? You see, you cannot fully understand this debt and its terms without understanding first the love that God gave you. And so when people talk about, I've just got to learn how to love people, I will, I will guarantee you that apart from a relationship with God, you will always fall short of the greatness of the love that God has shown unto you. Because you'll never be able to do it in your own strength. You will always have a selfish motivation. Because you'll be looking at it, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? The only way that we can love like God loved is that we first experience the love that God gives to us. And then out of that, we begin to mimic what God has shown to us. We begin to portray it to those who are our neighbors on our street. We begin to portray it to our, our bosses and our employees that we work with. We begin to portray it in our school buildings with our classmates and those who are there. And so what happens is that we become a mirror of what we have seen. And if we don't know what God God has done for us, we will become a poor mirror to the rest of the earth. And some of you, you either have a crack in your mirror or you don't want to look and see what God has done for you. You don't realize the great benefit of God's love and how he has lavished that upon you. Now, it is this in 1 John, you can turn back there in verse number, chapter number 3. It says, this is how we know what love is. 1 John 3 and 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's talking about love. And the only way that I can learn how to lay down my life is I see someone else who has laid down their life and I model their example. It is not intuitive that we would just go out and be able to lay down our lives and say, I'm going to sacrifice myself. But the love that is talked about here in the scriptures is a love that sacrificed. And here it was, it says that he laid down our lives for his brothers and sisters. Verse number 17 of 1 John 3, it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with accent, actions and in truth. Let me read that again for you. 1 John 3, verse number 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Selfish love is about talk. Godly love acts in truth. Selfish love likes to say a bunch of flowery words, likes to say, oh, I love you so much. Wow, you are like the changing of leaves out in the wintertime. It just amazes me as I look and gaze into the beauty. Even as you transition through seasons, my love will be constant for you. <laughs> oh, wonderful tree. There's an orange tree back there. so that's a, <laughs> But see, selfish love is about talk. 
But the Bible says that the love that God is looking for is not simply about words or speech, but it's in actions and in truth. If your love doesn't cause you to do something, then maybe you have not reached to the full maturity of the love that God is calling for you to walk in. Maybe you haven't repaid the debt. You've only tried to pay something. How does this love act? See, godly love acts in truth. It helps us to realize who God is, who we are in God, and how we relate to one another because of God's love. Love doesn't act simply to simply pacify everyone. See, it's not love if I just pacify everyone. Love doesn't act simply just to let everyone walk over us. Love doesn't sit down when injustice is happening. Love doesn't stay silent when we are operating in error rather than in truth. The love that we owe one another is godly love and the truth of godly love must be at the foundation if we're going to repay the debt of love that God expects for us. It is the love that is patient. It is the love that is kind. It is the love that does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. But it's a love that we realize that the Bible says that part of God's love includes his disciplining of his children. The scriptures say that in love, you have always discipline and chastening. For God says that whoever he loves, he also chastens. And if he doesn't change you, then he really doesn't love you. Now, I, I, I need to speak, and, and we have a variety of social issues, and especially at election time, there are a number of things that are coming up in particular things, and I, I have a responsibility as a pastor uh, uh, not just to, uh, uh, to help us to understand the text, but also to understand how do we apply that text in a variety of contexts. You see, when society says that the murder of children is an acceptable policy and says that a woman has a right to choose, I understand the fundamental obligation of a right to choose, but I also understand that because of love, I have to operate first by what God says about life. And so I don't go against because something is uncomfortable or I, I don't just simply go with it because it will make someone com uh, uncomfortable or it maybe seems poli uh, politically unexpedient. But what love means is that I speak up for truth based upon the word of God, no matter how difficult it is and always walking in truth. Love will not sit silent when injustice and when error goes forth and is proclaimed as truth. So while we have the issues that may be hot button political issues and say, Pastor Joseph, oh, no, you didn't. No, I just said what the word of God says. I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm not trying to say that a woman does not have a right to choose. But when it comes to the aspect of life, there's a reality that that life is not even the operation of just a man and a woman coming together. But the Bible says that the Lord is the one who brings that conceiving together. And I can't go against what God has said. And so love goes into some uncomfortable things. I've experienced love when it's been uncomfortable. Now, we all probably know, if for those of us who are parents, we probably use this line. And for those of us who can remember this line, when you know, our parents were disciplining us, they would say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. 
I used to be mad at that line. I was like, really? Then you can stop. <laughs> no need to hurt me and hurt you too. I mean, there, there's no need for there to be any hurt in this environment. Let's just have fun. But I realized at a, at a later stage that when my parents disciplined me, that it truly was out of love. And it's oftentimes they say that by the time you feel, realize that your parents were right, you probably have children of your own that, <laughs> that don't think you're right about anything. And it's a realization that part of my love and part of my parents' love that they had for me and part of my love for my children is the fact that if I don't discipline, if I let them run Rashad and just not learn how to operate in what God has called for them to be, then I truly don't love them. And that's what the Bible says. He says, if he doesn't discipline you, then he doesn't love you. He's just going to let you run, run wild. You, you all know the kids you've seen in the supermarket. They run through the supermarket, knocking stuff off the aisle. You want to just say, just turn, turn around for one second. Let me just handle your child for a second. And just, just bless them and, and teach them a few things. <laughs> You're the one that they're whispering about because you didn't discipline and train up your child in the way that she, uh, he or she should go. Now, I ain't talking about some of the crazy, wild stuff that some people that passes as discipline. But I'm talking about enacting true discipline in there. And so what am I saying? That we are going to love one another and the love that God expects is not simply the love that is comfortable and pacifies us. It's the love that is taught in the Bible. And the love that is taught in the Bible is broader than some of the ways that we see love. And also it challenges us even in uncomfortable situations. And what we are going to do in these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what does it mean to love according to the, what the Bible expects of us if we're going to love one another. And the first thing that we see in terms of this aspect of love, and, and we'll close on this here, is in uh, first, I'm sorry, Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 10. Look there with me. It says, uh, sorry, starting at verse number nine, um, uh, do not covet in whatever commandment there be. They are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse number 10, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The greatest harm that one can do is to operate outside of God's truth and principles. You see, we harm by not walking according to biblical precepts and instructions that God has given us. Now, he says here in the text, love does no harm to its neighbor. Now, what does it mean if we're going to love according to the way that God expects us to love that we do no harm to our neighbors? Because some of us are thinking some neighbors who we'd like to harm them. They've done some stuff. I mean, come on, if we can be real, some of our neighbors have done some things that have offended us. Some of our neighbors have been nasty when you were trying to be nice. Some of our neighbors, when we tried to turn the other cheek, they just kept on going for it. Some of our neighbors have just taken advantage of us. And so when the Bible says love does no harm to its neighbor, what does it mean to do no harm? What we understand is that the harm is the aspect that we want to do what is best for them according to the glory of God. We shared that last week. We would do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And so what we realize is that harm is what inflicts a negative outcome. And when we love someone, we don't try and inflict a negative outcome in order to tear someone down. We try to proclaim God's truth, 
and his principles. Now, I must, underst- I must underscore that because we do not harm our neighbor, we must understand the differentiation between what is harmful and what is painful. Some things that are painful, but they're not harmful. But some things are both painful and harmful. The psalmist in Psalms 119 said, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Uh, When we are told no or not yet by God, it can often seem that it is painful out of the time, but it can be out of God's love that we experience pain, even though we experience or internalize it as harm. See, the reality is that when God treats us, he does nothing to harm us. It's always for our benefit, even though sometimes we might say this is really painful. I'm in a season right now where I'm looking at God like, do you understand the pain? I mean, ask me, is this a pain between one and 10? I'm going to say it's a 12. I mean, I, I mean, like if, if I'm having a conversation with God, I'll say this is very painful. I feel like you're harming me. But what God is saying is that love that does no harm to its neighbor does not mean that love won't challenge people to go through some painful circumstances. But when you go through those painful circumstances, what you understand is that out of it, God is building something in you that out of the result of it, you'll see that it was by his love that he allowed you to go through those things because it was developing character in you, because it was revealing flaws in you. I mean, I'm thankful because, you know, in in engineering terms, one of the things that we'll do is that when we're testing something, what we'll do is that we'll put stresses upon it in order to test and see, will this thing break? under pressure. Some of y'all are driving in cars that have been tested, have been crashed, and they've done it in order to make sure that when you're driving down the street that someone else comes out of the way and comes and hits your car. You ought to be thankful that someone spent some time testing that car to make sure that it would be safe. And so what we have to realize is that some of the things that we go through, it is painful, but God is bringing something out of it that is because of his love. He sees exactly what you need. What are some things, if you could look back over your life, that at the time you didn't realize that you needed it, but now you can look back and say, thank God I went through that. What are some things that you've gone through in your life that at the time you're saying, man, why, why are all my haters coming against me? Why is everybody trying to bring me down? Why, why are these things? But you look back at some of those experiences and say, man, it was good that I went through that. I, I, many of you know I've shared stories about working at the law firm, and there were things that when I was at the law firm that were challenging. I mean, I would get back, I would write reports and write memos, and you know, uh, you'd submit them to one of the partners, and when you get it back, there was more red on the paper than the black ink that was originally there. I mean, you know how hard it is when you write a memo and then the attorney sends it back and they have track changes on and you're trying to find, well, where was my original thing? There's an and there and then there's another word conjunction that's in there. But besides that, they changed everything. And and when I first thought, I was like, this is painful. But it was working something in me that I needed. And there are things that God, out of his love for you, allows you to go through, and it's not harm. It might be painful, but God is bringing something out of it. So what am I telling you to do? Realizing that love does no harm to its neighbor. So in that, we don't try and seek to bring people down. We don't harm by our careless words. Some of us, we are just simply going out and harming people by the words that we speak. 
Some of us, even this week, we can think of some careless words that we said to one another. Husbands and wives, you know some careless words that can easily sneak out when you're in a marriage. You can talk about one another. And you can use words that, you know, you don't have to use a swear word, but still talk down to them. And so we can harm one another by our careless words. We can harm one another by our careless deeds. Some of us, when people were in need, what do we do? Oh, they'll find a way. Or we begin to justify. They got what they deserved. See, had they been as smart as me, they would have known to do this, this, and this. We justify. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm being serious. We'll justify and we'll look down at others and say, well, you know, they deserve what they got. Guess what? You've done some things to fall short, too. We'll look at things and we'll make self-righteous judgments. You see, without a relationship with God, the love that we show towards others will harm them. Because we don't know how to mirror something that we've never seen. But when we experience how God loved us, how God challenges us, how God is not careless with his words, but as he speaks over us, he speaks directly to some of our issues and our needs, but he implores us to grow in him. Even when God chastens us, he does it so that we can bear more fruit. When God says, listen, you need to get this together. He doesn't do it and say, I'm abandoning you. He does it and says, you need to get this together because I've called you to be an ambassador for me. You have a responsibility. You're, you're bigger than this. You're better than this because I created you in my image. Go out and reflect my image, not some counterfeit that you think you ought to be. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what love looks like. We're going to talk about the fact that love gives, love forgives, love sacrifices. And as we begin to talk about this, we're going to walk out and see that if we're going to love one another, it's more than simply what we think of love, but it's what God calls for us to love. Love is so beautiful and so precious. But in our modern day context, we've watered down the concept of love and put in love means make me feel good. Love often can make us feel good. But that's not the sum total of it. As a parent, if the only thing I do is make Nehemiah feel good, I haven't fulfilled all of my responsibilities. My son deserves a father who loves him enough to hang out and in the morning and, and it's Sunday morning and we're playing hide and go seek and we're just laughing with one another. He deserves a father that loves him enough to say, listen, put aside all the rest of my schedule. I, I, I just want to spend time with you. But he also deserves a father that loves him enough to teach him. Listen, lying is not of God. You can't do that because it's a sin against God. We owe a debt. It says that we ought to let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love. You're not doing someone a favor. You owe it to God because he's done so much for each and every one of you. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just wanna pray for you this morning. Because in this moment and in this realization, I, I understand that sometimes it's hard when you see the obligation and you can look at it and say, Lord, it's hard to love people that seem unlovable. 
And oftentimes you have to remember the benefit that you received while you're paying the obligation. And sometimes we can forget about the fact that we received eternal life through Christ Jesus. And God just asked us simply to love our neighbor as ourselves. I realize, yes, that can be difficult. It can be challenging to restrain ourselves, to not operate in the flesh. But through it all, God calls us to love, to walk in love. And this first aspect of doing no harm to our neighbor, walking in the love that is pure and righteous. Father, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one of their lives. Lord, I realize that you have done so much for each and every one of them. I pray that even as their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, that they would begin to get a glimpse of how, Lord, much you loved us. Lord, by the act of sacrifice, you proved your love. But Lord, every day that we breathe and every day that we get up again, we realize that it's because of your love that you sustained us, that we might have eternal life with you. So Father, we see the great benefit that we've received. Help us, Lord, not to default on the obligation that we have assumed. Lord, not to go and just say it's an optional payment plan. Not to say that we'll get around to it when we get around to it but Lord, to challenge us to love in the way that you've called us to love, in truth and in action. Let us do no harm to our neighbor, but let us be loving vessels that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I, I, I wanna pray for even those who are challenged even in this moment, because I realize that even sitting here as a senior pastor of this house, that it can be a struggle to sometimes love. But Father, I pray that as I experience more and more of your love, I would reflect it, Lord, even through this earth. I desire to see the greater Boston and Brookline region transform because, Lord, your people were loving, even those who seemed unlovable. Lord, that your people ex exercise love, that we would be known by love, oh God, Lord, rather than our malicious behavior, our gossiping, our backbiting, Lord, our walking in error, our sitting silent in injustice. Lord, that your justice would reign throughout all of the earth. We give thanks unto your holy name. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.